0: Arohanui Hospice is located in central Palmerston North. Matariki is the name of the carved Po that stands in the entranceway. On the walls near the main admin offices are carved wooden photo frames. Inside one of them is a Pautama designed tani Next to that is a small woven kakahu.
1: So this here uh, was gifted to us by Auntie Mere uh, in remembrance of her husband uh, Brian, who died here uh, in um, the hospice on Christmas Day, uh, 2014. And Auntie was driven by the care and the consideration that was shown, and uh, she let her hands do the work. She never had a pattern to work to when she started, and when she was doing along the long bottom of the kuruwai She stood back, she looked, and it reminded her of the stars. And she gave it the name Te Matariki.
0: I'm here with Kaitaka Wainga, Māori Liaison Officer, Dennis Emery.
1: And so that's uh, Kiwi feathers that she waved in, fitted it into that, and then got in touch with us and said, I'd like to come and I'd like to gift that uh, to uh, Arwanui Hospice as a measure of our appreciation and thanks for looking after my husband, Brian. And of course, what we had here is the, the pari there, is the lentil of, of, of a pari. And the matapihi windows looking out, yeah. and one looking in. So they were done specially over the years by people who came to do. Uh, Sir Howard Morrison's uh, photo is here. He came as a visitor, he had a, he a whananga here.
0: Tonight on the show, we discuss palliative care. I sit down with Dennis Emery and Dr Simon Allen, who only weeks ago commemorated the not-for-profit organisation's Silver Birthday, or 25 years of service in the community.
2: It's taking what actually I think Maori understand as good care, uh, and and uh, that's what palliative care is. It's really good care, caring for the whole person, for the whole family, for the whole whānau and we so believe in that, um, and Māori care and tradition has got lots to teach us in that regard.
0: And I'm with Diane Korty, a recipient of this year's Ngārimu VC and the 28th Māori Battalion Scholarships, whose grandmother, Hinetefu Brooking, was the younger sister of Te Moana Nui Ngārimu. It was Diane's experience of palliative care for her grandmother that would influence her research into end-of-life care for Māori.
3: And that was my first encounter in a sense of a immediate whānau member and watching the process of dying. Um, and it stuck with me and our whānau because we, well, I hadn't been involved in a close immediate whānau member of going through that process. And I really enjoyed, the, well, didn't enjoy, but I really appreciated the love and care that was given to us from health professionals from the hospice here uh, and their philosophy around care and acceptance of our whānau
0: within that. Mm-hmm. E ngā maha o te motu, nei rā te mihika o atu ki a katoa, ko Justine Murray ahau. This is Te on RNZ. E Rohanui Hospice is a large facility and is just down the road from the nearby hospital in Palmerston North. Dennis Emery works alongside Fano, who use hospice services. At the entranceway, he describes the artwork on the walls. Most come with a personal story.
1: Just above the, the doorway here is a tefa tefa in the shape of a tefa tefa uh, weapon. But it was gifted by the Rauriti Whanau, uh, Kupa Whanau from Otaki to us last year in remembrance of their uh, sister, their aarti, their mother, who was the principal of the Kura Kaupapa in Otaki. And uh, the Tefa Tefa's name is called Temauritau. Temauritau. Te Te to maintain the life force. And that was given to us uh, here uh, as remembrance again of the services that we provide. Out there in the uh, entranceway, you saw. Um, on this side is called uh, Tamatariki. Uh, he was uh, he carved by Hono he, Hone Heke from Ngāpui for us and it was gifted by the Peranara Whanau from Ngāti Tukorehe and again the, the Tōtara was taken out of the Auraua River as so one of our important awa here in this region and then it was carved in the shape that it was to show the ebbs and flows of life. So this is the day stay area here at Aronui Hospice and it's for the we bring in for activities uh, amongst themselves, but so it's more around the social element and socialising part of it uh, that we uh, we provide here at the hospice. Te hapū, te kopua, te mai tata. So, the role that I have is in terms of uh, promoting, uh, advocating uh, the, the services, uh, the ahua, uh, the wairua of Aruanui Hospice itself here uh, amongst the Māori people in, in the Rohe, in the Rohe, Mwamato e Ne, Iwi. There are a number of Iwi uh, that uh, border onto this area. Uh, and that's including Ngāti Tūwharetoa, uh, Ngāti Maniapoto, Ngāti Matakore, uh, Ngāti Whakatere, uh, Ngāti Raukawa, Ngāti Kaufata, Rangi Itane and Maupoko. So there are a number of iwi kahununu come across from, uh, from the Hawke's Bay, so there are a number of iwi. And that's primarily uh, been my role, but also to give assistance and support to our, our medical and our clinical staff, uh, like Dr Simon and and the team here. Wonderful people. Huge amount of uh, volunteers here. In fact, uh, that, that's the bulk. If it wasn't for our volunteers, uh, it would make the, the role here so much harder for them. So somewhere near 670 volunteers that we need to be able to keep Arone hospice going.
0: That's a lot.
1: Uh, the lovely, so so lovely people uh, that they are. So so that's primarily my role. So out in amongst the people, and um, I've been fortunate enough that um, all of the marae in the vicinity, and I'm talking the majority of them being Aote some 21 of those, but also through Rangi Tane and through Mūpoko, but also having a good relationship with a lot of our, our koroheke, a lot of our Krawa and a lot of our kui kui Uh, in the area and being able to to meet with them and the tribal leaders.
0: Dr Simon Allen moved to New Zealand 27 years ago and has worked at Nui since it opened. He's seen a lot of changes over that time and has led a number of initiatives into palliative research and education. Last year he was awarded with the New Zealand Order of Merit for his work in palliative care.
2: I was born in Scotland, Uh, my Mountains are the Grampians, my river is the Dee and the Don, and I moved to New Zealand 27 years ago, uh, always interested in palliative care and the growth of the hospice movement. And although I started as a cancer doctor in New Zealand, I have moved full-time into palliative care here at Arohanui Hospice. So I worked both oncology and hospice for some long time, and uh, helped to build up the the service is at hospice while I was in a leadership role in the cancer treatment service. Uh, so now I'm, I'm playing in, in this space full time.
0: What changes have you seen in the palliative care landscape in New Zealand in that korova
2: That's a great time? question because it's, it's taking what actually I think Maori understand as good care. Uh, and and uh, that's what palliative care is. It's really good care. Caring for the whole person, for the whole family, for the whole whanau. And we so believe in that. Um, And Maori care and tradition has got lots to teach us in that regard. Uh, But we have some skills and services and people that we need to to bring in to make that uh, good caring and have that good kōrero so we can set up uh, brilliant services that we can all be very comfortable with. And we go out looking for complaints to improve our services and try and make them friendly, caring. Uh, and really, that's what our reputation is so built upon. What other changes? Changes in ability to care for people who are in pain uh, and other troubling symptoms, that's improved greatly. And I think our ability to cope with more and more of our ageing population that are falling sick How are we going to do that without tripling the dollar cost? I think we've got really smart at helping everybody do better in caring for people at home or on the marae, Uh, and that's where we've got to go in the future for people ageing like myself, so I can be well cared for at home.
0: (laughs) How many Māori um, currently use Arohanui services, Um, and how has this increased over time?
1: Yes, um, as, as Dr. Simon says, that number uh, will, will fluctuate and I think that's the, the nature of it. But what I've been finding, uh, Justine, in my time here is that uh, just being here, both for our doctors and our clinicians and our staff, it's it's been a great help for them knowing now there's somebody there that they can come to, uh, particularly from a cultural point of view. Right? And so that's been, been the, acid, uh, that's been the uh, access and the help that I've been able to give them um, and the good part is they now know they've got someone that they can go to. Uh, our Māori family is Indigenous and it's First Nations. We have a, a beautiful ceremony called the and it's this understanding in terms of how we deal with our people, but leading up to that is the important time that we're here. So, what I'm finding is that, it's that spending that time with a lot of our whānau, and we get them in this range of diversity in life, mm. you know. Mm. Um, and a lot of them, um, when they come here, they come here for, for the reason, because our queer or our karawas are unwell. And, uh, and sometimes it's just coming to their position that, that this, uh, that time is near. And it's not easy time. So the the sort of kōrero that we hold here is uh, foundations for spiritual care. We have sessions that we take people through, they understand it. The other that I find really, really enlightening is uh, understand me while I'm dying. Very powerful, very powerful. And we use uh, uh, other ethnicities, Bhutanese, Hindi, Samoan, Roman Catholic, Anglican, and all of us have a different way of coping.
2: I feel I need to tell a story about um, one of our patients. So you mentioned about singing of Waiata and Mm. uh, the comfort with that. So we had a a young man, we'll call him Tani, and uh, he was troubled in the hospital because he was being treated and treated and treated and it was going nowhere. He wanted to withdraw from such treatment and be cared for in a more special way. And he managed to persuade those people in the hospital who were doing that to allow him to come to hospice and be seen. Um, He's a troubled young man. All sorts of mischief in his past. But he spent about two weeks in our hospice and it was quite beautiful. After a few days, a guitar appeared and he started singing. And then he would find that he would uh, be in conversation with other patients in other rooms. And most respectfully, he was, he was taken on by other patients to come and play tunes. Sometimes the blues, um, but also IATA, with any patient. In the, and, and the patients thought this was wonderful. Lovely tones coming through the, the hospice corridor. Very powerful, very strong memory, lovely story.
1: Uh, and sometimes when you look back through the history and in some of the families that I've been able to be here with me, Justine, uh, I know they're, they're kāua, and as you can tell. And, and in the ways that our, our people felt that uh, learning the, the, the European or the Pākehā way was better for you, but when it comes to this part of their life, they're now wanting their tamariki, wanting their mokos to go back to it, and unfortunately there's been that disconnect. And it's, uh, my role has been able to to. Bridge that over for them. Yeah. Take away that worry. Take away their concern. And uh, they've even run back home and, and done a check-up on who I am. Where's, the, where's he from? And, and then the queer, oh, yeah, all right, he's okay. Do the check-up. But, you know, but that's our people being our people. Eh? Some of them do get confused. Some of them are, are resistant. You see that in their aqua since you walk in. But then after a while, once they learn another, what's happening for them, that they, you can see that they're the change. Eh? The change. And a lot of them when they get to the end, they're so, so pleased they came here. And it makes them, and empowers them. They feel good. But then when there's those moments of not sure when, not sure why, and even down to the need of a, a proper bed for their queer or their kawa just to be in, and all of that helps them and a lot of them talk about it. So, Justin, you know, I mean, I've never heard in all my years growing up at the Marae, at the services on the last day, Dara, neho neho, you know, where they will get up and they will publicly acknowledge New Hospice for the care that they showed to their queer or their crow. Wow, you know, I've never heard that before, but it's coming. You hear it now. More open about it. And and as Dr. Simon says, they're not necessarily our our, our elders either. We're losing some to the younger age. We lost one recently and she was only a seventeen year old one and she's like, so those are the sort of things they but that you see how the family and then having doctor Simon and the nurse go down there and be with the family just to help them through.
0: Arohanui Hospice celebrated 25 years of service. They operate a number of second-hand clothing stores in Ōtaki, Palmerston North and Levin. They do receive some government funding, but largely they fundraise on their own. Dr Simon pays tribute to the founders of Arohanui
2: Hospice. These are great visionaries. So Garth Wallace, uh, who I think is an accountant by background, was a tiger determined to raise the funds, get the community spirit, Pull together some community uh, people with a similar heart. Uh, And June Connor needs special mention as a nurse who was community-based, who absolutely felt that that people deserved this good care. So hats off to them, fantastic tribute for those two standout founders. And just on the theme of nursing, nursing care is the heart, and good nursing care... Mm -hmm. Uh, to, to listen, to care for, to hear in the small hours of the night when people are vulnerable, troubled. Those nurses are special, special people. Bless them. Great, great crowd of people.
0: Diane Korti hails from Ngātipurau, Te Whanua Apanui, Ngāti Maniapoto and Waikato Tainui. She's a busy mum, resides in Hastings and has a dream of establishing a Māori end-of-life care facility in Gisborne. Over the course of her study, Diane has picked up a few awards, including the Rose Hallaby Scholarship. Most recently, she was named as the recipient of the postgraduate scholarship of the annual Ngarimu VC and the 28th Māori Battalion Scholarships. She continues her research into palliative care for Māori, inspired by her grandmother.
3: Um, she she was very stubborn East Coast woman <laughs> <laughs> And a uh, strong Ngāti woman And she didn't want to leave her home So we didn't have to actually take her to the hospice um, We were fortunate enough that hospice brought the beds um, And all the equipment to us As well as the staff to oh. her home uh, So they have that as a, um option Where they provide all the equipment uh, for us as a farno. So that made her happy, which made us happy yeah, so that was all about,
0: wow, well, that's all about comfort,
3: eh? Hey? That's right, mm. familiarity for her, um, and I think she a lot for her was that she didn't want to feel like she was a burden on anyone. Even though we tried to say, "Nan, it's you know, you're not a burden," she would have a shower before she would go to the hospital after a heart attack, and <laughs> things like that. Mm. She would um, not because she didn't want someone
0: else having to do that for her um, if she was in hospital. Diane's grandmother, Henetefew Brookin, was a sister of Te Moana Nui Akiwa Ngarimu. Over the past few years, Diane has led a busy life of academic study.
3: Yeah, I did my bachelor's. Uh, so I started off with my bachelor's part-time and then I went to, move down to Palmy and did, completed my bachelor's there. Uh, then I continued on to my master's and so that's a two-year component. My first year is made off of papers and I did a lot of end-of-life care stuff included in my uh, first year of my master's. And it had stuck with me, my experience that I and my whānau went through with um, Cranford Hospice, so I decided to do the research component of my Master's in partnership with Cranford Hospice around end-of-life care for Māori. Um, so I approached uh, Cranford Hospice and they were um, very supportive in the kaupapa, and my kaupapa. So we worked together in recruiting um, participants for my Master's and participant Fano members, um, and after that, and I was very fortunate to be a part of that with final members and participants, and after that um, I've moved on, and this is my second year as my doctorate um, in clinical psychology, also specialising in end-of-life care, and my research component for this tohu will be based around end-of-life care once again for Māori, but from a Ngātipurou perspective. Can
0: you tell us what what sorts of things you asked the far? Um For my masters, I asked a
3: lot around about barriers, uh, things that may have stopped them or worries uh, about approaching hospice, um, but also if they have heard of hospice before. A lot of them hadn't heard of hospice before actually getting referred to hospice. And in those that had heard of hospice were fearful in the sense that it was um, historically known as a white institution from a Christianity um, base. It, it does have that um, reputation and also as a place to go and pass away or to die as your final days, but it's much more than that. Um, as we and myself found out as a whānau, we didn't know anything, so I had a good understanding of my participants and their experiences and fears that they were facing pre-going into hospice care Um so having that inside knowledge helped with my research. I, other things I asked them were their cultural experiences of going into hospice, mm-hmm. whether it met their cultural needs, Maori cultural needs, um, such as you know whānau being able to come in, as we discussed before. Kai, you know, kai is important. Um, and what kind of care they were expecting when they were going when they.
0: Were going to go in there or had been in there. Your role was just to. Um, did you record these? I did record yeah. them. Though they, they,
3: I was fortunate that they were. They let me voice record them, which then I translated or uh, transcribed. Sorry, and you and utilised aspects of their discussions with me um, to put in as their stories, so to speak. Their Pudako, their their mm. last. A lot of it. A lot of it was around their experiences, but they're also their last wishes about tangihanga, their tangihanga, a lot of preparation into uh, their, how they, they wanted their tangihanga to unfold as well. Yeah. So it became a lot, a bit more of an extension of that phase of end of life, came into end of life uh, and the their dying process, but as well as their death planning and tangihanga planning as well. A very diverse range of Māori culturally uh, practising whānau members and participants in my uh, in my cohort. so we had some tūturu Māori that we always knew where they we were going to go and have their tangihanga, yes. watch uh how it was going to enrol uh, unfold. Sorry, and their whānau members' roles within that, um, but we had had others that had, you know, as part of our history, had been urbanised, so it had lost the ability to. Go back to their marae as often as they had wanted to During their lifetime Um, But once death has approached And had Reforged the desire to uh, Return home uh, Which happened to most of my All of my participants within that Meant, you know, they had gone back To whānau member to help Plan out their tangihanga, to help Reconnect their uh, Descendants as well that had gone through the process, you know, yeah. some of them are three, three to three generations yeah, of right. um, not having returned back to their marae. So that was wonderful seeing that that helped them re- reconnect with their marae and with their iwi and their hapu and whānau as well.
0: Once you graduate with your Doctorate. Your ultimate goal is to set up a end of care life facility with a strong Kopapa Māori in Gisborne. Aye, aye. Uh, that's my
3: dream. Yeah. Uh, my aspirations. I'm yet to to figure out how that would look at the moment. Um, and I think after this tohu um, and I'm um, tr- will build a lot of that. Whether there's a need, the kind of needs analysis with my participants of all my whānau going through this tohu as well. Mm. Um, because I think there's a need. If anything, I I would love for there to be a strong educational aspect of this facility um, in the sense of educating our whānau and our people and our iwi in the sense of what end-of-life care is, what that can look like. Yes. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be from a clinical perspective, Western clinical perspective. We have our own traditions around end-of-life care as a, as a people and that's what I want to explore and and that's what my doctoral research will look at and hopefully... Help towards my aspirations of setting up a facility up there, mm. um, to also care for our people, to train our people, um, but to take that fear associated with um, dying away from our people as well.
0: You know, part of your thesis, um ulthipor. Aye, and I did read that you know with the increase, the likely increase of Maori population, there more. Likely to or could use the services of hospice. So do, is that what you see? Is that what you can forecast, say, 10, 20 years that more Māori will use these services? Yeah, statistically
3: forecast correctly that uh, yeah, our Māori population is growing. We're qu- currently quite young, uh, yeah. within the 25-year age group. Um, so you can envision that 25 years to come when we're still dying young anyway, within our s- 60s or so or eight years less than uh, non-Māori. Uh, So I do foresee within the next 25-30 years that there will be a higher need and a higher number of Māori looking or needing end-of-life care um, guidance.
0: You're tackling quite a heavy subject when you're interviewing whānau about their loved ones. That must open more um, mamai or hurt for them. How do you keep yourself... Safe in a cultural sense at the end of the day
3: Yeah it does And I'm very conscious of that in my in my mahi I'm fortunate that I have this awesome strong fane That I'm able to unload and offload with um, My aunties and uncles that went through this journey with me When my nan went through it um, they understand the feelings and the sadness that we went through, so I'm able to talk to them about that as well. I also have fabulous supervisors um, at the university, at Miss University, um, where I'm able to talk to them about anything that might uh, that 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 might affect my writing or my studies, yeah. um, because there is very sensitive stuff in some of this. That I get that I don't want to include Or feel that it's up to the whānau To decide whether that information Should be included in my research To be made public (laughs) Because at the forefront it's their story And it's up to them What they want to disclose to the public Mm -hmm. Um, And I have extended whānau My aunties and uncles are are magic And I have uh, study buddies as well That have the understanding of study life um, and the pressures that we come under, and how the research and that, that heaviness can affect that. So, I'm very fortunate to have heaps of support. Moving back to the Hawks Bay was another reason why I moved back um, for that whānau support. toku papa no Ngā iwi o Ngāti Maniapoto uh, Me Waikato Tainui uh, Ko Graham Koti tōna ingoa uh, I te taho o tōku mama uh, Ko Hekirangi Te Maunga Waiapu Te Awa Ngāti Parau Iwi um, Ko Audrey Koti ia Ngā mahi kia ora Tia o hoi onei,
0: Ko te wheturaka tira
3: He tohu o ruka Mo te arai Kau ana, ka paika o te waka, o roi e kā ki te pauka, i kai
2: e, e te rewhitai, o āre te uru, kai kai te pō, kai kai te pō ue.